Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Quick one before I let you listen to the pod. Uh, something's been itching at me for a few weeks, really since October 7th. And it was something that Father Peter McVeary said to us on the podcast maybe four or five years ago now. He said about how people are exceptional at compassion, but aren't always so great at solidarity. And he didn't mean it in a negative sense. He meant, you know, you could be watching a documentary or you could be watching a, you know, a, a film based on true story or, or just an ad for Focus Ireland and you will feel empathy for the people who are suffering. You may even be compelled to, you know, donate to the charity or do this, but we don't necessarily move beyond that into the realm of, you know, uh, maybe volunteering at a homeless shelter or getting involved in community homeless uh, um, support groups, finding out where your local direct provision centre is and seeing if there's ways you can help. But the other thing that really bothered me, and it's something personal, is that I obviously know that the Tortoise Shack relies on compassion. Without compassion, without your compassion of becoming a member and paying it forward, we can't exist. So compassion is really important. In fact, compassion maybe gives us the space to act in solidarity that we can help put forward voices that you don't maybe hear everywhere else, conversations that I feel are underrepresented in much of mainstream and we can continue to do that because of your compassion, because you've joined us on the Patreon feed, because you're giving us the fiver a month. So I suppose this is my long-winded way of saying that, you know, as someone who relies entirely on compassion to keep the lights on and the mics on, you can't even have solidarity without compassion. But much more importantly, you cannot have change without active solidarity. So I am going to continue to ask people to help us keep it going. I am going to ask you to click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise because I believe in what we're trying to do. And I think lots of you do as well. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and this is part of our continued coverage of events in Israel-Palestine with some of the familiar voices that you've heard over the last few weeks, over the last couple of years. In a moment you will hear from Mahmoud Mustaha, the young journalist who has been on the podcast several times but who has found it very difficult to get back in touch with us uh, due to the miracle of his eSIM who sent me a long voice note with a report on events in Gaza from the ground. Uh, we will open with that. Then you will hear from Tom Clonan, retired Army Captain, now Senator Tom Clonan, in relation to what is going on in terms of the the, the military aspect of this and some specific areas around what is a legitimate target, what is a human shield, what are war crimes, some of the things that we got through. Tom just gives a big outline and outlines the actual failure of leadership that is causing untold damage and untold carnage to the people in Gaza and also also um, within Israel. And then myself and Martin have a quick chat around the technical aspects, the, the, the war online and how maybe it's been perceived and been covered and some of the issues around the uses of social media and indeed some of the failings of mainstream media. And finally, you will hear from... Uh, a very upset Zach in Gaza about uh, what is happening as the lights go out. So uh, please stay tuned for that. It is a very powerful contribution. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Here comes Mahmoud. Hi there, Tony. Thank you for your support and your care. I'm recording this to your broadcast to publish it, and I hope all the world can listen to this to to listen to our voices. What is happening in Gaza nowadays? in the Israeli aggression in Gaza for the 26th day 
هين غازا هو ار ليفت توغرابيل وذ هارش ليتي ابدو بريفشن ازرائيلسكم از كونتينيو تو امبوز هارش سيج اون اس ذيرز نو ووتر ذيرز نو فود بيبل ستراجل توغيت ابيس اوف بيرت اند ذيرز نو فيول اند نو الكتريستي اور لايفز هاد بين ريديوسد تو امير ستراجل فور سيرفايفل جاست ان ذيس وور وي نيد تو سيرفايف وي نيد تو سيرفايف وذ اور سيلف In the face of the Israeli violence and the destruction that engulfed us, we found ourselves grappling with a profound dilemma. Every day there is killing in Gaza. About 10,000 of people have been killed. Imagine this. Imagine that 10,000 of people have been killed. According to, to, Gaza, to Gaza's Ministry of Health, uh, Mary or about 850 people have been killed, including women and children, and about 2,000 people have been lost under the rubble. I lost my closest friend, Yusuf Dawas. Yusuf is a cute, cute people. He's a, he's, a, he's a player guitar. I don't know why he, why, why he has been killed with his, with his family. All of his family have been killed. And three of my cousins also have been killed. The fear of losing anyone here in Gaza was almost too much to bear. We would rather face, I personally, I would rather face this than witness the pain of further loss. But how could we, as survivors of this trauma, for 26 days of the Israeli attack, find a way to ease our lives back together. Imagine a father or a mother or a sister or a brother has lost his relatives or his, his close friend or anyone his or a mother, just imagine a mother lost all her, all her children. How this mother can live after this attack? If she was, if she, if she still survive, if she's still alive, We are struggling for survival and the question that hangs over our heads like a dark cloud of we survive this war, how we we'll continue our normal lives, how, as I told you, a mother can continue our life, or as any one who lost his close friend. In Gaza here, where dreams are trapped and unbearable loss for myself, As a Mahmoud, as a Gazan journalist, I, I am facing a lot of dilemma and difficulties to work. I can't cover the news. I, I, I don't, I, I feel helpless because I can't, I can't cover any, anything because there is no way to cover or to write or to do anything. There is no history, no, no internet. I'm talking to, to, I'm talking to you from the internet in my ECM. In Gaza, or for all Gazan, we hope just for now is to stay safe with our families and to see our friends doing well after this genocide. Thank you.
Hi folks, uh, and thank you so much for all the feedback and support over the last few weeks. Uh, the voices you've just heard from uh, is our friend Mahmoud in Gaza and his report on how things are on the ground. Mahmoud, thanks to the wonder, wonders of the eSIMs provided by our members, was able to uh, put together that voice note for us. So uh, thanks for all the support. Thanks for everybody who's been giving us feedback. But it has been a very, very difficult few weeks, as you know, and as you can hear. And the pain in his voice when... He's our friend at this stage, and Mahmoud tells you that he'd rather face death than than endure any more uh, loss, personal loss, having lost one of his best friends in the last couple of weeks. It's very, very grim. But anyway, look, we the show must go on, and one of the reasons the show must go on today is because we're rejoined on the podcast by friend of the show um, and former Army Captain T- Tom Clonan, Senator Tom Clonan. Tom, thanks for taking the time to join us. How are you keeping? I'm good. Listen, thanks for having me. No, no, and I appreciate you, you fitting us in. Look, Tom, there's a couple of things, obviously, we normally talk, and we will probably, if we get a minute, we'll mention some of the brilliant work you've been doing in, this, in, the, in the Senate in terms of you know disability rights and some of the issues that are concerning us. In the, over the coming weeks, we may come back to you know the, the tiering of, of disability payments, and let's look at that in, in, its, in its round. But for today, can I ask you a couple of really pertinent questions? The ground invasion has begun. Can I get, first of all, if you could give us an overall sense of what you think is happening and maybe Israel's uh, goals, because the goals that are printed are quite scary, but I don't know if that's actually just, you know, it's one of those where we put out the, mo- the worst case scenario and then try to achieve something else. What is your read of the situation? The attacks on October the 7th uh, by Hamas, and they were like, homicidal, genocidal attacks, uh, egregious breaches of all of the laws of armed conflict, including taking hostages back into into Gaza and using them as human shields. That has provoked Israel into its current actions. And and I think that was part of the, the plan by Hamas to provoke them in this way. And Mark Regev, he's one of the senior advisors to Benjamin Netanyahu, was interviewed on CNN in the last week. And he was asked, you know, what are Israel's war aims? And he said, what they intend to do is to destroy Hamas in detail and all of its um, terrorists, as he calls them, fighters. Uh, And he said, in exactly the same way that Islamic State was destroyed in Raqqa, in Syria and in Mosul, in Iraq in 2016 and 2017. So that's the blueprint um, for what the uh, Israeli Defence Forces or the IDF are embarked upon now. So we've had in the last three weeks uh, rolling airstrikes and artillery strikes in one of the most densely populated uh, areas on on the planet. You know, 2.2 million people crammed into a very small area uh, and the focus now is on Gaza City. Israeli troops have uh, are now encroaching on on the city. They've come from three directions, uh, from from the Mediterranean uh, seaborne landings, and then through f- uh, border fence on the north, and uh, just from the southeast. So they're approaching the city from from three fronts. They're using Merkava tanks. Uh, armored personnel carriers with infantry and close support. They're using helicopter gunships and artillery to provide close support 
for those troops as they uh, circle the city and then begin to move into into the centre. And from what I can gather, they, they want to essentially get into the network of underground tunnels uh, where Hamas's command and control centres are, where their ammunition dumps are, where they have uh, hospital and aid centres underneath there for their for their people. And the object of the exercise, similar to what happened in Syria and Iraq with, with Islamic State, is to kill or disperse all of these uh, Hamas operatives. They're estimated to be about 40,000 such uh, Hamas operatives. Now, this compares with 9,000 Islamic State um, fighters in Mosul and a similar number in Raqqa. And in both of those cases, it took the coalition back forces uh, nine months and 10 months, respectively, of intense urban combat um, to achieve their end, which also meant the almost complete destruction of those cities. In Raqqa and Mosul, uh, some but not all of the civilian population were able to flee. In Gaza, people cannot flee. The United Nations Works Relief Agency, UNRWA, says that 640,000 Palestinian civilians, men, women and children, are sheltering in UN schools, food depots, supply depots, uh, hospitals in, in the territory and south down towards Khan Yunus. The Israelis say that 800,000 have fled the city of Gaza, which means that there are about 200,000 still there trapped. And you'll find that in that almost a quarter of a million people, the majority of them will be vulnerable citizens, uh, disabled, elderly, people who are wounded, children, people paralysed by fear. Uh, it's and And in that regard, I would have to say, what the Israelis are doing at the moment, using the weapon systems that they're using, it is disproportionate. And I'm not using that word in the subjective sense as a value judgment, but in terms of how that word is framed in the Geneva Conventions and the laws of armed conflict, what they're doing is is disproportionate. It's inflicting a disproportionate level of harm to the civilian population relative to their military objectives. Sorry, sorry Tom, can I come in on that? Because this is one of the key points I wanted to talk to you about, because this is crucial. So, according to the IDF's statistics of number of Hamas um, individuals who they've killed and the number of civilian deaths, the equivalent would be, and this is go back to the idea of proportionality, that they would say that if the Aviva was, say, full for a rugby match with 51,000, that they would be justified in killing all 51,000 if there was 258 Hamas fighters in it, because that is the level of Hamas fighters they've killed per to level of citizens that they've killed. It's it's extraordinary, Tom, that the level of death in the first 26 days of this conflict. And and I use that word conflict even um, broadly as I as broadly as I can because no one is st- no one in this podcast is defending what Hamas did in October 7th we've condemned it from the outset however what we're seeing now and Gaza City by the way I remind you is one of the oldest cities in on in on the planet you know we're going to lose we're losing some some architectural things and, and what we saw in Jabalaya again in a refugee camp where people were refugees as well 70% of people in Gaza City are refugees you know, generations of refugees. It's just, you understand this better than I do. The idea then of them being legitimate targets because there's a Hamas um, leader there or someone who, they said, organized October 7th for them to do that. I, I, I just can't square that with my conscience. 
Well, the the uh, the Geneva Conventions are very explicit on this. Um, you you must not use force against a military target that you cannot isolate away from what they say are civilians or civilian objects. And they say that if if targeting a military target involves um, the destruction of large numbers of civilian objects or civilians, then the attack must be called off. And otherwise, it's called willful uh, killing and wanton destruction. They're the two phrases that are being used. And you mentioned the death toll in amongst Palestinians. Obviously, you've 1,400 Israelis uh, murdered, slaughtered, uh, with 240, it's estimated, have been taken hostage. Over 8,500 Palestinians have died, uh, have been killed uh, by Israeli action since uh, their, with their airstrikes and the, and the opening of this ground phase. And of that, about 3,500 are believed to be children, about 40%. Now, to put that in context, in 2009, at the end of the very notorious Operation Cast Lead, where the Israelis went into Gaza for about two weeks, Amnesty International observed that in seven weeks of fighting, over one and a half thousand Palestinians had been killed, including 300 children. And Amnesty International concluded that the Israeli military had uh, committed war crimes. In 2023, we're we're talking about two to three hundred children being killed every day. The scale of this dwarfs previous um, incursions. And again, for people to understand that the number of Israeli troops that have been that that have been uh, concentrated up to three hundred thousand Israeli troops. The Americans invaded uh, Iraq you know, with a population of 40 million, the size of France, with about 140,000 troops. They're proposing to go into Gaza, which is, you know, 365 square kilometres. It's a tiny place, a tiny enclave with 300,000 troops. So that's, you know, a 1,000 troops per square kilometre. Yeah. And, the, and the overwhelming use of force. I mean, if you look at the war, you know, can they kill extrajudicial killings, can can they kill every single Hamas operative? Un- unlikely. A lot of them will, at a certain point, will exfiltrate with the civilian population because Hamas are using the civilian population de facto as, as, as a human shield and they move in and amongst the civilian population. Uh, so what could be achieved? The, the fear is that the Israelis will destroy Gaza City, destroy as much of Hamas's infrastructure as they can, and then annex that territory and do with it as they see fit. And there is also a fear that by pushing the population south towards Egypt, that they might be able to expel or it might be part of their strategy to expel. I, 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 want, of- I, I need to push in here, Tom, because it's very clear. The, the reports are they're offering 20 billion of a de- to pay off debt write down for the World Bank for Egypt to allow people into the Sinai, to create this other place in the, in the Sinai. In, in other words, a second Nakba to a level. The Nakba was originally 700,000 people that were forced off their land in 1948. This will be worse. It's already worse because over 10% of all homes in Gaza have been destroyed. So, yeah. I mean, we, you know, can I add uh, really, some really quick hits for you? 
that is ethnic cleansing by definition, no? It's mass expulsion of of a population. Um, the threshold for ethnic cleansing in terms of, you know, deliberately trying to, to kill everybody on the basis of ethnicity or identity. Um, so definitely war crimes are being committed on both sides now. But in terms of sheer scale, um, Israel has a responsibility now to, I mean, I, I would say what's what's required now is an immediate ceasefire. And I reject this binary narrative that a ceasefire implies some sort of support for Hamas. That's ridiculous. It's, it's to provide the alleviation for those civilian population, which, which is set out in law mm-hmm. under Geneva Conventions. The, the Israelis, as the attacking party who are going into another territory, must provide a safe evacuation corridor and safe zones for the elderly, for the disabled, for pregnant women, for women with babies, for the wounded. And they must provide a safe zone with proper sanitation, water, food, medical care. They're, they're not doing that. So they're, they're kettling the population there. But they're still carrying out airstrikes and artillery strikes in the in the southern part of of the Gaza Strip. So there is nowhere safe. There is no safe zone. I think what's going to happen is that uh, as as the ground incursion continues and the weapons they're using, like for people to understand that if you fire a, even the high velocity automatic rifles that the, the infantry are carrying, they're designed to hit targets eight hundred meters away. Those rounds, you know, once you discharge a round from one of those weapons, it'll go through the wall of a house. It goes through brick, concrete. It goes through steel, wood. The the armaments on the armor personnel carriers, the machine guns on the helicopters and the tanks that fire 550 rounds per minute, they're 12.7 millimetres. They penetrate 20 millimetres of, of plate armor. There is no cover from these attacks. And the, and the injuries that will be inflicted by way of high explosive anti-personnel shells, anti-tank incendiary, incendiary shells. You're talking about horrific burns, limb separation, decapitation, all of the stuff we're seeing, the images being circulated now on social media in the digital realm of people who've been targeted in this way. And those images are going to amplify anger in the Arab world on the Arab street. And I've no doubt that Iran, at a certain point, when they reach a particular threshold, may very well order Hezbollah to attack Israel. And they're already skirmishing along its northern border and open up a second front. And what will be different about that is that after the invasion of Iraq and the destabilization of the Middle East, Iran now enjoys an arc of influence from Tehran through Baghdad, through Damascus in Syria, right out to Beirut with Sheikh Nasrallah in Lebanon. And they also have a land corridor from Iran right down to the border with Israel in, in, in Lebanon. And they can indefinitely supply and reinforce Hezbollah fighters. Um, so that second front, if it were to open, would be a regional escalation. That's why the Americans have sent two aircraft carrier uh, groups to the eastern Mediterranean to signal to Tehran that they don't want this to happen to signal that they're prepared to get militarily involved. But I think Israel would be under severe pressure if that second front were to open. I I don't know, 
that Israel would be able to would be able to deal with that as effectively as they have in the past with their military, and that's going that's going to send a very worrying signal to their neighbours about their vulnerability. I think Israel are making a big, apart from the horrific uh, humanitarian catastrophe that this represents and all of its crimes and ugliness, Israel are making a big mistake here. Tom, they're, bad, they're very badly led. Tom, you've been a professional soldier. Um, you know the rules of engagement. You've just explained the rules of engagement, the Geneva Convention to us. What was the point of it all, Tom, when the international community turns its back? What was the point of the Geneva Convention? What is the point in having crimes against humanity actually codified when the international community just simply turns its back? Well, this is the question that everybody in the Middle East will be asking, because we quite rightly condemn uh, Russian actions in Ukraine, but uh, have fallen silent, not uniformly. I mean, I think Ireland has shown some leadership in this regard as a neutral republic where we have called out, you know, what the position that the Irish government has taken is that Israel has a right to defend itself, but it doesn't have the right to commit war crimes. Um, In calling for a unilateral ceasefire on both sides, my understanding is that that has not been supported by the United States and Britain. And I think what you see there is an alignment of uh, support for Israel, probably support with Saudi Arabia against a perceived common enemy in Iran. And on the other side, you have um, the the alliance between Iran and Putin in Moscow. This second front, if you like, suits Putin and his agenda. It'll it'll dilute or erode the capacity of NATO and the United States to fully support Ukraine in its uh, attempts to 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 defend itself from from Russian aggression. So. This is the worst possible set of circumstances. And what you're what you're describing there, Martin, is, you know, I mean, we 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 purport to have a rules-based world order and rules-based societies. And we talk about our shared values. That was one of the rallying cries of support for Ukraine was that we're fighting for European values or Ukraine is fighting for European values. But what are those values if we don't condemn uh, and call out very clearly the, the, the war crimes against Palestinian men, women and children. And I think we will see a reanimation or reinvigoration of fundamentalism and the type of terrorist attacks throughout Europe that we saw prior to COVID perpetrated by groups like Islamic State, Islamic Jihad and Al-Qaeda. We'll see a resurgence of that because, you know, we... and. In that We're seen as two-faced, really, Tom. Well, look, like the West is seen as two-faced. Part of the problem, I think, uh, Ursula von der Leyen's uh, trip to Tel Aviv, where she gave, you know, she on, on the part of all of Europe, unqualified, even support, though she, unqualified yeah. support for Israel's position, and and yes, we support Israel's right to defend itself, but not to not to commit war crimes. Can, can I, so, sorry, I need to push in on one quick thing. I understand this, the access, the geopolitical game that's going on, but I also know too many people in Gaza who would say to him, they're not doing anything to defend Vladimir Putin. They're simply just, um, they just want autonomy, integrity, the right to life. People will resist throughout history. They will want 
independence, they will want freedom. That is the human condition to want freedom. So mm-hmm. I, I accept what you're saying about the bigger game, about being pawns, but I also find right now where we are, because I saw, and, and I know you've been on the show, but I heard Eamon Dunphy say that, that um, Hamas were trained by members of the Wagner group. Absolute bullshit. There's no, there's no foundation for it. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not drawing the link between Hamas and, and Russia. I'm just making the observation that this uh, conflict will suit Vladimir Putin. Absolutely. Agenda. I agree with you. I, 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 no, no, I agree with you on that. I just wanted yeah, to there's, no, there, there's no linkage whatsoever. Right. And, and, you know, the, the horrible thing about this is, the, apart from the horror of, of the loss of human life, this is unnecessary. This is the product of toxic leadership on the part of Benjamin Netanyahu, this this has benefited him politically, but it will fundamentally undermine Israel as a state. And as a, as as a, I mean, already he had begun to erode the separation of powers uh, and and the viability of is what Israel is doing now is they're sowing the seeds of their own destruction, and that's a tragedy for Israel and for Israelis. And it's going to ramp up Islamophobia. It's going to ramp up anti-Semitism. This is a classic example of poor leadership. Uh, we, they need visionary, ethical leadership on all sides. Unfortunately, you won't get that with Benjamin Netanyahu or Hamas at the moment. Or from the Americans, or really from the Europeans at the moment, Tom. It's a very sad state of affairs that we have elected across the world, particularly in white countries, people who just can't come out and say a war crime is a war crime. And it, it really is. It's a disgrace on us. It's and, a disgrace can, on Western people. Can, can I give Tom a large dollop of credit? For the last couple of years, obviously, with Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine, the disgraceful behaviour there, Tom held firm on Ireland's neutrality and held firm on what it means. And this is where you see the benefit of a country who can speak as an impartial, neutral country. We just hate seeing people being killed. That's what we hate seeing. And, you know, and, and, and fair play to you, Tom, but you've always been great at that. So, so give you credit on that. I really, really admire the work that you've done on many fronts. But on that, you've held firm because politically there's been a push in the other direction. Um, I'm conscious of time, Tom. I know you've got another thing to get to, um, so we will let you go. But I will give you some bad news. In the last few minutes, um, Hezbollah have in, have put out a statement saying that uh, our hand is with you on the trigger, fighting the enemy of God in support of the most vulnerable of us and our oppressed people in beloved Palestine. So it does seem that Hezbollah may be actually about to become much more active from Lebanon, and that is a, that is a very worrying development. I- and, and that's going to have implications for hundreds of Irishmen and women who yes. are serving with the United Nations in Lebanon and in Syria and the Golan Heights and with the UN True Supervision Organization throughout Israel, Lebanon and Syria. So, you know, we need to watch this space. Yeah. And thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate it. Um, but uh, look, we all know people who are in that in, in I know people active there. And it's it's not something we all want to countenance. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening, folks. We will talk to you all very, very soon. We'll hope to come back with Tom to talk about the brilliant work he's been doing in terms of disability rights and some of the other stuff. But right now, this is the biggest story in the world and we'll continue to cover it. Thanks for the support. Talk to you soon.
That was our friend uh, Tom Clone and it's gas. We, Martin, we was talking to Tom Clone. He's one of our first guests, one of our earliest guests. He wasn't the senator at the time. He was just he was just a campaigner for disability rights and a and a and a whistleblower. Uh, about, I know about the, as a whistleblower, he's good in my book. Yeah, exactly. He goes up in the, your estimation. I just give him the benefit of the doubt because he's from Finglas. But um, <laughs> we we were stuck for time. So a couple of things I just want, didn't get to. Um, I want to say how pathetic the Arab states have been over the last few weeks. You know, uh, we, we, we see how the Arab states will, you know, slow down production of oil, Martin, when they're filled, their economic tra- um, interests are at, at stake. They will slow down production of oil to, to cause trouble for the global economy. And yet they're not even willing to, to pull any of those levers when it comes to dead babies, dead children, dead old people, grandparents, mothers, fathers in Gaza. I, I do find that kind of, you know, it's it's very telling. One of the other things that happened today was the Rafa crossing started to take some dual citizens and non, non uh, how do I put this, residents of Gaza out. No Irish people were allowed out, by the way. No Irish passport holders were allowed out, but... Um, EU citizens were allowed out, as as reported by our friend Hannah McCarthy. The interesting thing there, obviously, is yet again. This I think this is one of these moments where you know where they announce something where it's like you know we're bringing in the aid trucks, and then when it's like how many did they bring in? Twelve. Yeah, yeah. It's tokenism. It's, it, yeah, so it's another one is we want to get that out ahead of them, um, and then just on the. Um, some of the stuff that's happened just for us and I mean this so so you know you're aware of this Martin but uh, I, I actually heard and to give Joe Brawley credit he's been continuously talking about this continuously talking about this his podcast has promoted um, not promoted he's covered in great details events that have happened in Gaza and um, and he's been very good at this and himself and Dion Fanning have covered it on his podcast but they had Martin I don't know if you saw this they had put up a video on TikTok explaining what had happened and it had been mass reported for misinformation. Um, and and they said, oh, and they said on the pod, we've been targeted by the Israeli um, lobby. Well, they said, we don't know that, but, but you know, forces targeted us for misinformation. Mm-hmm. Martin, our site was crashed. Our yeah. pods, our pods were yeah. taken. We had four pods taken down. We had tweets disappear. It's, it just shows you. It's It's actually... A tech war, as much as it is, uh, I think it's probably a, 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 an information war, Tony. Uh, much more, particularly from this side of of the world, what we're being bombarded with is information and misinformation. And because Elon Musk has absolutely screwed up Twitter, it's very hard to disseminate what is real and what isn't real. Now that said, that said. Uh, seriously, with Western journalists, there isn't a whole lot of point in them having blue ticks with the opinions they're putting out. Anyway, they're unbalanced. But even that little, I suppose, that tangent of of realism, that tangent of dependability is gone. And it is really a free-for-all. And we see that particularly when fake journalists have been outed, uh, somebody in Turkey pretending they're in Gaza. You know, all of this stuff is going on. And Elon Musk has made this possible. In fact, he's done more than make it possible. He's driven it. He's utterly driven it. And for the state of the world where we almost had social media as an information source to turn to a disinformation source because of one billionaire, sad state of affairs, Tony. I agree with you, but I also, your first point about how 
um, mainstream media has not covered itself in glory here as well. I, I fully think that that is something that needs to be explored. Not necessarily the reporting. They have ethical reporting standards to where to to a degree with editorial biases that are employed in it, but to over thirty journalists are now dead. Mm-hmm. And you remember when we covered the case of Rafael Moreno, who the journalist who was murdered in Colombia during the summer, and yeah. it was a global outpouring of support. And other journalists picked up the cudgel and said, "We will not let this lie." Martin, journalists from 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 North America, journalists from. Um, the Europe, everybody picked up the cudgel and said, we will help, we will support. Latin America all stood up. 30 journalists are dead in Gaza. And I have to be honest with you, it's been appalling, the lack of um, coverage of this. Even Oops. before that, we had the journalist in Malta who was killed, Tony. Professional hit job on the journalist in Malta because she was uncovering what the government did not want her to uncover. And of course, everybody straps on the, 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 the signs, you know, one of us or... Um, whatever it is that they want to say, but they're not doing that here. They're not doing this for. for they're not doing it in Gaza. Like I mean, I, I, I for my sins, I, I did the um, stupid um, check. Went into the Irish Times website with my subscriber page. By the way, folks, I have to subscribe because we have to pay for this stuff. And I, and I did a search. There was twenty four articles come up in the last since October seventh about Paddy Cosgrave. There was one, one about the killing of a journalist in Gaza. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there isn't. Well, you see, I don't blame individual journalists for that, Tony. No, that's, no, no. That's, that's, that's kind that's of an editorial, editorial decision. line. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's editorial line. You know, even beyond, if you take it into the microcosm of Ireland, there's nobody standing up for journalists. And I, the only person who stood up for journalists this year in Ireland is me. Yeah, and they don't like you for it. And they don't like me for it. I'm the only person in this country who has ever said this journalist is bogus, self-employed and proved the point and won for the journalist. And and nobody will cover it. Nobody will say this has happened. And I have done it. We are going to, um, obviously, you've, I'll give one bit of credit. And obviously, it's, it's um, RT Primetime had Zach on um, and it was a... Brilliant contribution from from Zach. Fair play, uh, and it was great to see a Palestinian voice um, excellent put forward. I really thought that was it was important, Martin. It was important. The other the other really sad note though before, and it, it's all sad news. I'm sorry, but um, one of our other regular contributors, uh, Issam Adwan, who um, is a journalist in Gaza, fourteen of his family were killed yesterday in yeah. a, an airstrike, and that's the reality of this. We saw a journalist's family targeted because he reported from Gaza. We saw his family killed because he reported from Gaza. And whilst it did get some media coverage, there's no real solidarity amongst journalists, not at home, nor with those abroad. Well, I just find if you're, if you're, if you're, in, if you're in the media now and you're not making every attempt to get people from Gaza to report as opposed to and with the greatest of disrespect that I can muster, people standing in Tel Aviv with fuckers going by and delivery um, riders as if you're actually at a, at a, a... Like, I mean, how dare you put that forward as journalism? I mean, to give Hannah, Hannah McCarthy great credit, she's a freelance journalist, she's on everything, but she's going into the West Bank, which is all she can get to, and she's appearing at where they're trying to take people's homes from them. You don't see anyone there from our... Uh, how do I put this... Her, Microcosm. Our, our flagship, our flagship uh, media. So yeah, no, they're, 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 well, there is. I think at the, the what we all need to remember that this will be over at some stage. Yeah, and that 
those who were on the right side from the beginning, from the beginning, will still be on the right side. And those who were on the wrong side will still be on the wrong side. It's a pivotal moment in history. Which side did you back? Did you back the side of nobody's allowed to get away with war crimes? Or did you back the side, mm, ah, well, maybe they are? Um, one final point, and it's... Um and I actually don't care what you think of it. Um, I abhor war. I, help, I abhor all losses of life. I do not ex- accept that the IDF should be marching through Gaza. But I saw seven um, Israeli soldiers were killed yesterday in, in uh, fighting with Hamas. And the the Minister for Defence in uh, in Israel said that that was the price of, of, of this war. And I hate that. Because that ultimately is someone's son... That someone's be brother, it Russia, someone's, yeah. be it Ukraine, be it Northern Ireland, be it Syria, be it Gaza, be it Israel. The people who pay with their lives, who pay with their lives, are not the rich people. They are the poor people who pay with their lives. Be they soldiers, be they a child in Gaza. None of these people are rich. They're, it's ideologies that has them where they are. But they are the victims, all of them are the victims. And I hate to see generations of young men, women and children wiped out for the aspirations of a wealthy class for whom this is only just about money. It's not about life. We'll leave it there, folks. Thanks for all the support. Thank you so much to the members who stepped up and helped us keep, not just, just kept connectivity with people in Gaza. Martin, did I tell you what I got called? I I haven't told you. I think it's a great line. Um, The eSIM Santa Claus I can think of a few more names. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon, folks. Take care. Bye-bye. We are an Irish family, yes. And the house next to us was hit with a shell from uh, uh, a warship. And we are too scared and we are feeling for our life I'm feeling for my kids, my wife, my nieces if we are killed we are not forgetting, we are not forgiving anybody Anybody who kept silent and did nothing and gave a green light for all this to happen. It's now, it's going night time. It's complete, it's go darkness now. We don't know where to go. We are staying in our house, but we don't know what, what's going to happen. If we are killed, don't let our blood go in vain. Hold everybody accountable. Hold all the criminals accountable. Bye-bye.